Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren on this rather rainy, rainy September 11th morning. Welcome to everyone who is joining us here in person and to those who are joining us online. Our scriptures today come from Exodus 20, verse 7, and Matthew 35, 33 through 37. I you can follow along in your, your Pew Bibles, or if you've got your own, um, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 54 and then page 684. However, for the first reading, I'm going to be reading from a, a version of the Bible called the Amplified Bible. Um, as, as I often say, the, the, when you try to take Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic and make it English, you have to make choices, lots of choices. And the Amplified Bible said, eh, let's try to make it more obvious. So the idea is any, any major word in a verse, they give you multiple versions of that word. So you all know this verse already, and you can look down at, on page 54 and see how the NIV does it. But I wanted to read the Amplified's version for that. It goes, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is irreverently, in false affirm, um, affirmations or in any way that impugns the character of God. For the Lord will not hold, the, uh, will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain that is disregarding its reverence and its power. From Matthew 5, 33, 37, in the NRSV this time. Again, you have heard it said of those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Amen. So... Shalom Auslander had a problem. He is an essayist and a novelist. Um, this story I'm telling is from one of his books. Um, but I, I heard it on a, uh, This American Life years ago, apparently. It took me a while to figure out where I remembered the story from. Anyway, he had a problem, but it was a problem he had as a kid, as a third grader. He grew up in New York City, and he attended yeshiva, that is a Jewish parochial school. I think I need to be turned back just a bit. I'm ringing. I'm loud. As a Jewish parochial school, think, you know, Catholic school, except instead of having a lot of, you know, nuns, you got a lot of rabbis instead. And it was one of those rabbis that was a problem. His name was Rabbi Breyer. He was an imposing man to a third grader. He was Large, to be fair, to third graders, most people are large who are adults. Great big beard, black, always dressed in black, of course, he's traditional. With apparently, he was well known for having giant, strong hands. 
because those giant strong hands were not afraid of corporal punishment. It could be, of course, the kind of things you kind of expect that, you know, in the, you know, a parochial school that you would, might have a corporal punishment, you know, someone talking during prayers. Okay, I'm not saying it's right, but it's understandable. Like, it's the kind of thing you expect. But no, he would also punish kids for, say, doodling or slouching. There were even stories that once he had broken a kid's arm by pulling him out of the room so hard. You know, the way those stories happen with kids in elementary school. You don't really know if they happen, but of course everyone believes it happened. Now, the problem, though, wasn't that he just had this extraordinarily frightening third-grade teacher. The problem was his name. It is Shalom. Now, we all know that word, you know, it's, it's, it's something we use in Christianity. We use the word shalom now and again, and it, it means peace. It means a little more than just like a standard peace, like, you know, we, we kept shalom at the Thanksgiving table this year because we finally did not talk about politics. You know, it, it means wholeness. You know, the kind of peace that comes with being, well, complete. But see, Shalom is one of the, what's called the 72 names of God. There are a lot of names for God in the Old Testament. You have the, the names, the, you know, this is what we call God. So we, we have the, uh, the Tetragrammaton. That's the fancy way of saying the name of God the Y-H-W-H. There's the Tetragrammaton, there's El, there's Adonai, there's, let me see, I wrote a few down here. Tzevot, El Elohim, Shaddai, Ahyeh. You know, these are the traditional names of God. Then there's the titles of God, which are used as names. Uh, the Strong One, Master of the World, the creator, I use that one a lot. Straightener of the bent, I like that one. Maker of peace. Well, Shalom is one of those 72 names that they use for God. And in a very, in a more traditional Jewish setting, you never write the name of God. Because once you do that, once you put the name of God on the paper, you are not necessarily, but you could possibly break the third commandment. The disrespecting of God's name. Because what if you misplace that paper and it gets thrown away? You have thrown away the name of God. Or maybe you let the book drop and it hits the ground. You have allowed the, word, the name of God to touch the earth, the dust, the dirt where people's dirty feet are. That's not good. Or you're like me, I would be terrible at following this rule because I, I leave coffee stains and rings on everything around my desk area. I am terrible about it. I mean, everything's got coffee rings. Half my shirt have coffee stains. I, I can't tell you how many times I'm in here working and I have to run to the, uh, to the bathroom to try and wash something out before it really stains. So the way to get around it is by avoiding writing it. So you do tricks like if you, 
if you see this, this is, a, this is a typical thing. You do not write the word God. You write the word G-D. And that way, you aren't actually writing the name of God. For him, for Shalom, he was supposed to write S-H-A-L-O apostrophe. No M. So it'd be Shalom or Shallow. I don't know. But of course, he's third grade. What do you think he did? Especially considering that most people really didn't care. His parents named him Shalom. They didn't think it was a problem. They didn't consider, you know, that he was going to have this, have this around. They thought it was fine. His first grade, second grade teachers, they were fine with it. They didn't care. They made a distinction. They said, you know, Shalom's not like, it's not like you're writing the Tetragrammaton. It's not like your, your name is God. It's a title to God. We call God, you know, the God of peace, peace. It's okay. But not Rabbi Breyer. Every time he would see that Shalom had written his name, he would point his great big meaty hand at it, and he'd get red in the face, and he would declare, the name of God! I don't know if it was really that frightening, but to a third grader, it was enough that he recorded it that way. <laughs> and we continue shouting it every single time. And then he had to take this, whatever piece of paper he had written his name on, take it upstairs to what's, I don't know Hebrew again, I believe it's pronounced a shemois box, or just shemois. It's a box in which you can put sacred things like, you know, if you've got a copy of the Torah that's just, reach the end of its life, or, you know, a kid's report card that has the name Shalom on it, you can put it in the box, and then after the box is full, then the, the rabbis will properly dispose of it in a respectful manner. So into that box went tests, papers, books, and his fa he, uh, he apparently really wanted to get the card to legendary Red Sox player. Let's get the name right here. And, uh, uh, Carl, man. Oh, you just said it. Yeah, Carl Yastrzemski. Thank you. I don't know baseball. <laughs> There's this guy, Babe Roof. He has a candy bar. <laughs> no, uh, I know that's not the same, but anyway. He really wanted Carl because he thought with that last name that Carl had to be Jewish. And so he was really excited to think there was this Jewish baseball player who was well-known. He really wanted the card. And so he finally won it from his friends playing a game. And so he brought it into, his, into the room and he wrote his name on top of it so that it would never be traded away. Rabbi Breyer saw him do that declared, name of God, and he lost his card to the box. I just like that story. <laughs> and, you know, this poor kid has such a natural name. I mean, let's think about it in terms of American English. Now, we, I know we, we aren't, uh, there's a lot of people who, a lot of cultures who speak Spanish will often use the name Jesus or Jesus as a first name. We don't do that generally in American English. You know, I don't know the last time I met someone named Jesus. But you know what? I know a few Joshuas. Anyone here know a Joshua? You know a couple Joshuas? Joshua in ancient, Arab, in ancient Hebrew is Yeshua. 
which in Arabic is Yeshua, which once it was put into Greek and into Latin into English is the name Jesus. Imagine every time your friend who wrote down their name Joshua had to give up that, that book or that card, that report card, anything. It's gone. We don't hold things quite so holy and high like that. I mean, the I see up here, and it's in, it's in Christ is his victory. You know, we, we don't, we, we write down symbols and names for gods. We have the Alpha and the Omega on our, on our podium and lectern. You know, we don't, we don't hold it that high like that, as if it was something that would burn us if we, if we did it wrong. But of course, as we find so often in our exploration of the Torah, is that when humans encounter what seems to be simple rules, do not use, misuse the Lord's name, we get really concerned about all the ways we can misuse the Lord's name. And it becomes cumbersome. It becomes complicated. I'm really sure I haven't given this story, and I really hope I haven't done it in a sermon. I couldn't find that I had, but I may have. But here, here's how that can come out. So if you, if you opened up your NIV, and you opened up to Exodus 20, and you see this verse, what you'll notice is that L-O-R-D, Lord, is spelled in all caps, right? None of you look in your Bible. Just assume. We, if you look there, it's L-O-R-D is spelled in all caps. Whenever you see that, and often it's a large L and then a smaller O-R-D, it's because the word in there is the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H. And I'm calling it that, the tetragrammaton, because we can't actually say the word. It does not exist in the modern language, nowhere. No one knows how to pronounce it, because ancient Hebrew did not have vowels. It just had consonants. So how do you say a word that has no vowels? Well, for ancient Hebrew, it made sense because it was, uh, excuse me, um, ancient Hebrew, you, you knew kind of contextually what words to say, like you knew how it worked together. But of course, some of that was lost. And over the ages, they started um, adding vowel sounds later, little dots and dashes around it that tell you what, sound, what vowel sound you're supposed to do. And so when they got to doing YHWH, the tetragrammaton, they instead put the vowel markings for the word Adonai. And Adonai simply means Lord. And that was following the tradition. You could not say God's holy name out loud either. So you said Adonai. And so we put Adonai around the tetragrammaton which is why we use the word Lord today in, in place of the Tetragrammaton. Ancient, not ancient, aye, aye, aye. The, uh, as, as Christians started really getting interested in reading the ancient scriptures, and we, we saw this, this Adonai mixed in with YHWH, they thought, oh, it's the name of God as it's supposed to be written. They were a little mistaken. And they were German, so they figured it's, you know, they made the Y into a J and the W into a V. And when you smash those up together, you get the word Jehovah. So in case you're ever curious, Jehovah is Adonai and YHWH mixed together. They're not actually a name of God. It's something we created, as is the English translation of that, Yahweh. 
all that mistake, you know, just because we're worried about misusing these words. All right. So why? Okay, so I read the Amplified. I'm going to read it again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain that is irreverently in false affirmations or in any way that impugns the character of God. For the Lord is, will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain that is disregarding its reverence and its power. So it's got three things happening in it. First off, this worry about respect. That we do not dishonor God by misusing God's name. Secondly, it's about vows. And lastly, it's about how we use our faith publicly. Honestly, they all kind of go together, but we're going to tease these apart just a little bit. Okay, honoring God. You know, my family, we make fun of each other all the time. Not so much my wife and I. That wouldn't go over well. I tease her a little bit, but, you know, my brothers and I, we, we tease each other constantly. As I stand here, I'm going to mention a certain destroyed grandfather clock and the words wed wallipop. And my brothers, if they're watching, are both muttering underneath their breath, peanut butter swivel. And none of that makes sense to any of you. But you all have those same jokes between you and your closest friends and family, right? You can give them just a little tease, little funny things, right, Bubba? <laughs> but we do that, you know, and it comes, we see it all over my family. My uncle is the kind of guy who gave me a toilet seat for Christmas one year. He actually gave us each toilet seats. We were good for toilet seats at our house for years, thanks to him. Gave my cousin pickled pig knuckles one year. I don't know that we ever got eaten. My other side of the family, you know, my grandma was kind of always a little quippy. But once in a while, she would unleash the funniest, most devastating grandma burn. Like, just make, like, just say something so utterly hilarious and mocking at one of us. And it was worth it every time. But you know, we could do that because we loved each other and we understood that we were doing it out of that love and respect. That we would never do it to harm one another, to impugn on one another. That rather, it was just in good fun. And we accepted it right back. It's something to remember that our relationship with God is really reflective of our relationships with one another. You know, and just like we, we disrespected each other in jest, you know, and we never lost that core center of love and respect for one another, you know, that we are okay to not always be happy with God. We're okay to make jokes. We're also okay to be angry, to cry out, to scream at God. You know, there's, we got, what, a whole book of Lamentations, in which, you know, people are screaming about everything, and part of it is they're being angry with God. 
We have, you know, Jonah, who's one of the great prophets who we talk about all the time. And you know what? Jonah argues and hates God at one point. We got Job, who puts God on trial. It's okay. It's okay to be angry and upset with, with God. But it's not okay to make that step beyond where you lose that core, that respect, that understanding. Now, we go from this point where when I lose my place. We go to this point where we forget that God is that loving parent that wants to be there for us, to care for us. That instead, we start claiming that God is something that God is not. That's a disrespect of the name. When you start saying, no, that God is not there for me, is not loving, doesn't, doesn't like me, doesn't, or even worse, and this goes into the next section, besmirching God's name, or misusing it this way, that God is not there for you. Here's the thing, when you, when you call yourself a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, anyone who follows the, the God of Abraham, and we're called to respect this God, then we got to live by that call. We can't misrepresent who God is to someone else. We cannot misuse God's name in that way. And when I told my dad I was talking about this today, the first thing he said to me, so you're going to talk about the preachers who like to have their private jets that are paid for by the congregation. By the way, I do not need a private jet. I mean, if you feel like it and you got one lying around, no. We do see that a lot. People who claim to be God's servants. We'll use that word or even sometimes representative. But because of that, they, they can use that power, that authority, to say this is what God wants or needs, but when it's not really for them. You know, that's moved from, you know, a personal relationship, you know, I'm not honoring God by not returning the love that I'm owed, to now this is I am not honoring God by I'm using God's name for my own betterment. By misrepresenting who God is. Now we see this throughout the Bible. We see this a lot throughout the Bible. Um, there's those of us who, are, who have been studying Isaiah together. First chapter of Isaiah. First chapter. God says, I am done with you all. I am done with you all in your sacrifices and your murmured prayers because you ain't living how I asked you to live. Sure, you claim that you are my priest. Sure, you claim you are my people, but you are failing to live to my standards. You cannot claim my name. You cannot claim we are the children of God and then not live like children of God. That seems pretty logical, right? Do not misuse God's name. Do not use God's name as an excuse to do things you shouldn't be doing. You know, don't go out there holding up a sign that says God hates dot, 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 whatever you decide you think God hates. Because you know what? When it comes to people, God doesn't hate. 
might be disappointed in us. I'm sure I've disappointed God. I'm sure we all have. But God still loves. Do not misuse God's name. And that brings us to the last one. Vows. This is something we don't do in the Church of the Brethren. We don't, by tradition, say vows. This kind of goes all the way back to the ancient and probably, you know, the initial meaning of this, of this scripture, the most basic one, which is you, you shall not... Let me pull that back up. <laughs> you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So with this, and it all goes back to the same thing, but this was really kind of the center part in this. Names always hold power. Think about it. Think about, think about hearing your parent call your name. Even if your parent has long traveled over to the other side, or anything like that, just the magic of hearing them call your name, it's probably still in your head, right? Even if you forget most sound voice, most of what your parents sounded like, that that sticks in there. Or or the magic of of telling your child their name for the first time. I've cried at all three times that I named my children. There's great power in that. And that's something that's happened since the ancient times. Uh, you know, we have these, these giant creatures who roam around the woods, like to hibernate during the winter. We call them bears. Well, bear comes from the ancient Germanic word for word brown. Do you know why? Why did they just call them browns? No, not because, you know, they were fans of Cleveland. Um, no, they called them browns because they believed in the magic of the name. If you said the word bear in their ancient Germanic language, which we don't even know what it is because they didn't keep it around, but if you said, oh, I'm going out into the woods and I'm really hoping I don't run into any browns, then you might be okay. But if you said bear in whatever their language was, you are invoking the true name of the bear and the bear will come. We humans have always believed in this kind of magic, the magic in naming things. You know, we, we give our children names, as I said, and these names have meaning. But we have no idea if they'll actually take hold, you know. In the ancient times, of course, they believed in that, and they believed in that there was a great deal of power in, well, the Tetragrammaton. And so when you would, and so there's a warning that if you are going to call on God to witness a vow that you are going to make, then you better hold to it. And this is, this is the most basic meaning of this vow, of this commandment. If you're going to make a vow, you're going to say, I'm going to do something, and I swear by God I'm going to do it, then you better dang well do it. Because God's not going to let you off. So, don't do that lightly. Now, Jesus remarked on this later. 
And Jesus is, for all, in, in many ways, is a very practical believer of God. Or rather, one who believes in the practical ways of following God. And so he says, look, how many of you can change the color of your hair at will? They lived before a time with modern hair dyeing ways that we have. But how many of you can change the hair on your head as a half-bald man? How many of you, how, how can I possibly make the hair on top of my head grow? I can't. So don't, don't think you can force things to happen. Don't swear. Because once you swear, you are locking yourself in. You are saying that, I wish for God to punish me if I do not hold true to this promise. Well, you can't control it, so don't do that. Just do your best. That's what it's saying. You know, if you're going to say you're going to do it, do your best to do it. And if you end up failing, you end up failing. So you let your yeses be yeses, let your noes be noes. Don't make up lies. And live the kind of life where you don't have to worry about that. And that all goes back to that honoring God, the not besmirching God's name, living the kind of life that honors God's name in this world, that honors what it's doing. Which brings me back to one other thought. I know I've probably mentioned this, but it's one of my favorite thoughts. We do not know how to say YHWH, the Tetragrammaton. No one knows. It's been lost to the ages. But there is a, a theory that it's this. It's the sound of a breath. I have to add a little vowel in there to make it audible. It's the sound of a breath. Y-H is the draw in. W-H is the push out. Just take a moment. Feel your breath. What if that's the secret? What if that is the secret? The very first thing, and, and the ancient Hebrews believed that births, uh, life started at the baby's first cry, when the baby took their first breath. Life, of course, ends when you take your last breath. Are you honoring that breath? Are you honoring the name of God that you are breathing, that you are saying every time your lung draws air in and your lungs push the air out? Are you honoring it with how you use that oxygen? Are you honoring it with the actions that come out of that breath? Are you honoring it with the words that you press out from your lungs?
So yes, all of this is important. Honor the Lord your God. Honor the name. Honor it every breath you take so that no breath is misused. It's okay to be angry and upset. I think it's fine to make jokes with God too. That's my personal opinion as someone who likes to make jokes. But make sure that every breath you take in, every breath that you push out, is one that brings glory overall. Think about that. And I do apologize because I know you're all going to be thinking about your breath for the next 30 seconds. But that's okay. Think about it every time you take a breath. I love this idea about the Yahweh being the sound of our breathing, the tetragrammaton. If only because we are also constantly told to be in prayer. And the breathing is something we always do. I remember once going rafting and getting stuck underneath a raft and my dad yanking out. And that moment when I first took in a fresh breath of air, it's, it's life-giving. And we breathe that name every moment. For it is by the Spirit, and the word for spirit in that Hebrew is the same word for breath. It is by the breath of God that we live. So let's think about that every time we breathe in and out. We are saying God's name. And may we... Never breathe in vain. Amen.